HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by World's Best Cheese. For more information, visit wbcheese.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. This is your host, Greg Blaze, and in the studio I have Cutting the Curd founder <laughs> and overlord Anne Sachs will be with me. How are you today, Anne? Hello. I'm doing very well. Thank you. <laughs> it's always good to see you. Um, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about secession planning with regards to artisan privately owned dairies. Like any small business, cheesemakers who own their own creameries must plan for their eventual retirement. Uh, many times what's at stake choosing a successor or just deciding to close down your doors isn't just economic stability for the retiring cheesemaker, but preserving unique products that have, been, have made an impact in the cheesemaker's local food system and perhaps even the American food culture as a whole. On today's show, we have two farmstead cheesemakers on the line who are also owners of their operations. Lainey of Lazy Lady Farms in Westfield, Vermont. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yep. <laughs> and also we have the estimable Andy Hatch on the line, owner and cheesemaker of the Uplands Cheese Company in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. Uh, thanks for joining us on, your sh- on the show today, Andy. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for having me, Greg. Now, always, man. We tried to get you on our little drunken holiday special, but uh, you were probably too busy, like, making Rush Creek or something like that. I um, did. <laughs> My mom listens to your show. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, so uh, I guess, yeah, our goal was to talk about this diff- difficult question of succession planning because, it's, you know, it sounds easy. It's just a word, succession planning, but it's actually really a, a difficult thing. Um, and so our, we wanted to get kind of two perspectives. So I guess, um, Lainey, if you could start by telling us a little bit about your operation. When did you start making cheese at, at Lazy Lady and and how has your business kind of evolved over the years? Um, yeah, let's start with that, and then and then we'll get to the future part. <laughs> uh, uh, started with zero, nothing, 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 minus. <laughs> uh, barren land, little cabin, no electricity, uh, vegetables, and um, some sheep and a goat, and just you know, knowing, knowing I wanted to get into cheese, but just trying to claw my way into having enough uh, money to build the place, build the barn, build a facility, build a herd. So spent a lot of time just 
uh, try to build um, infrastructure with um, what money I could earn because we didn't have any means for borrowing money. So then um, working from that to now uh, a small plant that produces uh, about 300 gallons of milk, uh, runs about 300 gallons of milk per week through the, through the, through the building, about um, uh, 250 to 350 pounds of cheese per week in small, small formats, the three and four ounce pieces, uh, milk and 40 goats. Wintertime, purchasing um, about 200 gallons of milk from uh, neighboring uh, uh, dairy farms, a Jersey herd. And I have a couple recipes that I like, um, Holstein milk. And uh, uh, one uh, full-time employee and uh, three part-time employees, plus then Barry and I work time and a half. Yeah, so that's, and, and when you started, it was in the early 80s, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, you were definitely one of the pioneers of, of, of cheese making in this country in general, let alone trying to tackle making these fussy, right. small format bloomy rind cheeses for which there was no precedent. So given right. that you're such a self starter and, you know, you've, you've bootstrapped your way to where you are and you've just like, you know, earned every, everything you've got. Um, how, how do, how do you think about succession planning is that something that's interesting to you to think about someone else running your business at some point or for you is it so personal but you know whether they'd want to do it this way or not you know off the grid and um small i i don't know that's my you know i i think about that you know i you know everybody's so big i i don't know if there's going to be somebody who wants to do it this size um, well, so I don't know. I feel like, well, I, I guess it's an, it's an interesting thing because your, 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 your actual, you know, your home is actually kind of tied up with, you know, it's your land, it's yes. your house, it's blah, blah, yeah. blah. So, right. and I guess over the years, I mean, you've, you have had help over the years. Um, have you ever had an employee who you thought like, oh, hey, this might be like an interesting person, this, you know, we really click, you know, this could work. Or have you had someone come to work for you as an apprentice? I, I've, I've had him, but. It would really take two people, and I haven't had a team, you know, or I haven't bumped into that person yet. I've had good help, you know. How many hours a week just on it do you really estimate that you put in? Like, it's Me? Yeah. Um, uh, in full season, 98? Yeah, that's the thing. Yep. And so you got to find you, you got to find one person. I think that that's uh, right. That that's uh. the the thing. It's yours. And you yes. do it because it's yours. You own. You uh, take ownership over all the products, over all the animals, yep. and your land. So, yep. I mean, do you? I, how does it perpetuate itself? You know what I mean? Like you got to right you, because you, the people who work here, the full time person, well, one can only work forty hours a week, or I get into overtime, and most time they don't want to work more than forty hours a week. Yeah, normal people want to work normal normal hours. We we you know that's you know, you we know entrepreneurs I mean? are special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so Andy, you know, so some of our listeners um, know your wife and the Marika family purchased you and your wife and the Marika family purchased Uplands Cheese from the company's founders. Uh, in that case, their succession plan uh, was to sell to a new generation of cheesemaker, you, and that worked out pretty well from them. Uh, we're all still enjoying Pleasant Ridge Reserve, it's a beloved American cheese. Um, how did that work out well for you? You know what I mean? Like, what was the process that you guys went through that um, that made it so you could purchase the farm? Yeah, well, it was a, it was a long process. It took years, and at times that was it was agonizingly slow. You know, uh, I'm. 35 now, and I probably told them I wanted to, to buy it when I was, I don't know, 27. 
Oh, my God. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, I didn't have any money. And uh, an operation like ours isn't big, but you start adding up the numbers. You know, you've got uh, 300 acres. You've got about a million dollars in dirt. You've got a couple of hundred cows. You've got a half a million in cows. You've got your inventory, your cheese-making equipment. You, know, you get into those seven figures really quickly. Uh, and so, you know, a bank wants to see 20% down. I couldn't come close to that. But anyway, uh, it was a bit of a non-starter at first. And... Um, that was agonizing because uh, as it became clear that they needed to, you know, they were looking to find a buyer, um, uh, all the other cheese companies came to sort of kick the tires. And um, it was interesting to see uh, to, to see a, a, that an operation like ours didn't really fit neatly into uh, the, the business models of larger companies. You know, we're we're not really scalable. If you're going to continue to just use uh, you know, pasture-fed milk from our own herd. You've got X number of acres, supports X number of cows, and the grazing season is X number of days long, and, and there's your 10,000 wheels of Pleasant Ridge a year, and that's it. So, you know, those companies all came in and, and thought, wow, you know, we'll, we'll buy this business, we'll quadruple production, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll resell it for, you know, four times what we pay for it or whatever. Um, but it wasn't the case here. And so after years of that... Um, you know, uh, Mike. You know, realized that uh, I was the you know the best option because uh, I was, you know could do it and wanted to do it. So uh, you know, I think there are a couple of points you could you know to make there. One is uh, you know a- access to capital is hard for young people, and uh, even the small cheese making businesses are capital intensive. You know these. Uh, the, the, the equipment and, and the land and the animals are expensive. Uh, the second point to make is uh, that, it, that to teach somebody how to run uh, these businesses, uh, seasonal cheese making, animals handling, the, you know, the variability of raw milk, it takes years. And so while it was it was really agonizing for me to to uh, to, to want to do it so badly and and not be able to you know, make the deal happen right away. Uh, that it took a long time was really good. It was a long, slow transition. Uh, you've got to see a lot of seasons uh, to really understand how a farm um, behaves. And, uh, you know, I think those are those are two uh, important issues with uh, these smaller, quirky businesses uh, that, that uh, you know, independent operators are attracted to, but they don't always lend themselves to... Uh, they're not linear. Transition. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not linear. Hard to quantify. Well, and it was. It's interesting to me in listening to you talk that Mike, um, you know, was so true to his vision that he wasn't willing to kind of sell to somebody who would compromise the integrity of the cheese. You know that he was. That, I I find that really awesome and cool and very unusual. You know that somebody would say, okay, well, this is the cheese. This is the season. This is how it's done. Um, and so I imagine just by hearing you tell the story that that factor was a big part of the, the story, that Mike wasn't willing to sell the business to somebody who was going to kind of change the way the cheese was produced. That's right. And I think I, I give some of these bigger cheese companies credit that also that they realized uh, if, if they were to come in and change the nature of what we do here, the, the cheese would change. And um, 
uh, it, the market would figure it out and it, it wouldn't stay the same. I don't know. I mean, you see other other big companies uh, make those kind of moves all the time. You, you dilute the quality of the product and uh, it takes a couple of years, but everybody figures it out. And um, so that, I think that I was surprised that a big company did you know, uh, didn't didn't take the chance here, but um, yeah, you know, Mike uh, was committed to the way he wanted to do it, and it, uh, I, you know, in the end, I with my luck, my luck. Well, it's all our luck because you know because you make awesome cheese, and we don't want that <laughs> to change. Um, and so it seems to me like you know, when you decide on a succession plan, there's like there's four options. Um, you can sell to another cheesemaker looking for an established business, which is what Uplands did with you. I uh, can go in that old traditional European model, I guess, which is kind of dying out in Europe as, I, as I've as i seen it uh, or I've been told by the cheesemakers I buy from there, where you can give the farm over to your kids or your other family. Uh, you can sell to a larger corporation, which people have done. Um, I just was uh, was hoping to get in another show because we're trying to do a series on this to get uh, Jennifer Bice to come and talk to us too. That mm. she sold her. That's uh, a good, uh, good yeah. model there. Yep. You know, you can go to Emmy, or you can, or you can close shop. You know, I mean, there's I, a, mm. there's obvious benefits and drawbacks to each. You know, but I mean, Selenia and, and mm. things, what do you? I don't think? want to close shop. Right. So, what, what's your ideal situation? What's the ideal situation for you? I guess I, I, I would like for, you know, if I have to put, you know, at some point maybe put, you know, put it up for sale like, a, like you know, through the owner, not a realtor, and um, you know, either owner, you know, even owner finance, I, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Not, not that they have to go through a bank. I'd be willing to do the, the owner financing. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, can you even generalize it? I mean, is that too general for me to to, to say it that way? You know, I or I, I think that's that's really it. Those are your options, right? Yes, yes. I don't have a lot of options. I don't want to just sell it. You know, pack up everything and then sell it as a bare farm. Just, I mean, the, the just the animals there. You know, I put so much effort into the uh, breeding stock that that would be a shame. Wait. And then, um, you know, a lot of a lot of. Uh, customers, clients, retailers, distributors, all set up. Oh, yeah. Well, and what would you think about, Lainey, would you ever consider some sort of, like, hybridized model where, whereby, you know, you could, like, retain control of the goats and someone else would make the cheese yep. or vice yep. versa? Yep. Yep. That um, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's I don't know, it's, it's interesting. So it's a kind of about identifying, I guess, um, it's funny, I think about it like in Europe, um, like Greg was saying, it seems like the the wheels are better greased for all these um, transitions in some ways. And maybe these things are dying out, but either between families handing businesses down to younger generations or through a kind of more established apprenticeship model, um, it seems like transitions of these kinds of agricultural businesses um, you know, happen that way over there because there's this long, slow transition, like Andy was talking about. But here, it's it's. Um, I feel like yeah, it's not it's not quite there yet. And so the no. question is, how would you identify? You know, I guess Andy, um, can you talk a little bit about how you met um, Mike and how you got involved with Uplands? Because that's really like happenstance. But like, what an amazing what an amazing yeah. connection. Yeah, uh, I guess yeah. The end of the story ended in luck. It started kind of a lucky way, too. I was uh, a, uh, a student coming out of the University of Wisconsin's uh, dairy science program, and I was getting my cheesemaking license. So I'd worked for cheesemakers in 
uh, Western Europe for a couple of years at that point, and I'd worked for a couple other cheesemakers in Wisconsin. But I was nearing the end of my sort of apprenticeship requirements. You have to have a cheesemaking license in Wisconsin, huh. and to, to get a license, you've got to serve apprenticeships and take classes and then take a test. Uh, and so this was the last apprenticeship I did. Uh, I started here in 2007, and I had asked Mike for a job uh, ooh, earlier, 2004, 2005, um, and at that point, he was still making all the cheese. We're such a small shop that, you know, there really isn't room for a, an excess uh, apprentice. But by 2007, you know, physically, he needed some, some help, so he, he called me, and I, uh, I came out here. And uh, like I said, from there, it was uh, long and gradual. You know, year after year, I just sort of gradually took on a little bit more and more responsibility and... Um, it, you know, in a lot of ways, Mike's a, a father figure to me. I, I learned a lot from him, and that kind of long, slow transition um, is probably similar to what happens between some fathers and sons. Uh, though, of course, we, you know, you can't idealize that either. It's uh, yeah, business you know, when is business. Businesses are, are controlled for so long by one person and all of their idiosyncrasies. You know, uh, trying to give up control, even to a son, mm-hmm. uh, can be really awkward. You, know, you see it with so many neighboring farm families. Uh, you know, at some point, dad's got to stop making decisions and the son gets to make the decisions, but it's, it's not easy. And Mike deserves a lot of credit for, uh, like, you know, stepping away uh, and, and, you know, not uh, having, and, you know, his ego uh, demand control of the, the situation longer than was natural, you could say. And because of that, you'll know how you'll be better equipped to know how to pass that on. And, and if you want to do that either within your own family or to somebody else, because you're a person that actually got to go through that long process. I mean, you know, the cheese making at a farmstead level is hard. You know, you're overseeing the management of the land, the animals, and the cheese from the making to the aging and sometimes the distribution. So, I mean, is there really even time to think about? secession planning you know what i mean or you just you know what i mean like are you just doing it and also like if you don't have that sort of that sort of connection that you were lucky enough to get i mean are there what resources are there out there for small farmstead and artisan cheesemakers to like plan for retirement well there aren't many resources for cheesemakers there are quite a few for farmers uh, yes. you know wisconsin runs a program through you know the university extension Connecting retiring farmers to aspiring farmers. That's good. Um, there's just a, uh, a grazing apprenticeship program that started in Wisconsin. It's going national now. You know, connecting uh, people with, with grass-based dairy farms. Uh, you know, with with apprentices. Uh, it's a big. It's a huge. It's a huge issue. Most you know dairy states. Most farming states are talking about this. How to make these transitions? But uh, not a lot of people accept. You know. Ann and Greg are talking about it for uh, for the small cheese companies. Now, Lainey, what about Vermont? Because uh, I know Vermont does a lot for its farmers as well. Right. And they, they, they said they work with the dairy dairy folks, but uh, there has been nothing, uh, and they should be because uh, there's quite a few of us now in the, in the cheesemaking world, you know, at least a dozen of us, the, you know, the original starters are um, in that 60-year-old um, 60, 60 range. So it's coming up. <laughs> now, now let me ask one more. <laughs> oh, Coming so, soon. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so funny. Um, now, let me ask this: Is this something that you think the Vermont Cheese Council could get involved with? No, it's, it's something. No, it's very good uh, f- food for thought. Yes. No, uh, no. This is a. 
Yeah, we're, yes, I, I would certainly think it's getting time that, uh, yep, we kind of like um, uh, delve into this. I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm open, you know, for for any idea. Um, you know, I, I said my battle is the, the smallness of the place, keeping someone out of uh, debt, you know, too much debt so they can, um, um, you know, carry on because um, what this, this place makes doesn't uh, allow for, for too much debt. Um, or I said it, it's a the 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 it'd be a team that would take it over, and um, you know tackle a lot of the work themselves, and then bring on help later on. You know, it's, um, right. it's to 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 stay away from uh, payroll sure. for a while. That yeah. that's my biggest expense is the payroll. Sure, humans cost money. They yep. really do. <laughs> yeah, you know you got to pay them pay them well. You know, they get way, way, way better than us. Yeah. And um, so that's probably, you know, um, close to 40 percent of my bills. Well, and Mm. it's it's about that much of mine, too. So we're going to take a short break um, and then we're going to come right back and discuss the the secession plans with Lainey and Andy. Just hold on with us for a minute. Yep. Help me find a Today's program was brought to you by World's Best Cheese. The World's Best Cheeses offers a world-class selection of specialty foods, from fine artisanal domestic products to unique gourmet items from France, UK, Italy, Spain, Germany, Switzerland, Portugal, Denmark, Holland, Norway, and Canada. They offer over 2,500 delicious products, including world-class cheeses, crackers, dips, and spreads. They pride themselves on their commitment to service and their ability to find the products your customers want at great prices. For more information, visit WBCheese.com. Hello, and welcome back to Cutting the Curd. This is Greg Blaze in the Heritage Radio Network studios with my co-host, Ann Saxelby. On the line, we're so honored to have two amazing farmstead cheesemakers, Lainey of Lazy Lady Farm in Vermont and Andy of Uplands Cheese in Wisconsin. So before the break, we were talking about some of the technical aspects of secession planning for smaller, privately-owned farms and cheesemaking operations. For the next part of the show, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the cultural implications of secession. Um, on last week's episode, I talked to Matt Rubiner about current events in cheese, and one recurring theme that we, we kept touching on was that we're in a sort of golden age of artisan cheese right now. Uh, sure, you know, the regulatory environment might not be exactly what we want it to be, but more people are making cheese and more people are eating cheese and learning about it. So my first question is for Andy. You know, do you think it's important for certain cheeses to be multi-generational and to outlive the people who created those recipes? Uh, for the landscape of, of American artisan cheese, a- absolutely, and that's a uh, that's a really important question that, that doesn't get talked about all that often. And, and you know, the question is to what extent uh, are the the uh, life expectancies of these cheeses wrapped up in the life expectancy of the cheesemaker, him or herself? And um, you know, if, if you look uh, as a model at uh, you know some of the great uh, old world wines. Uh, you know who who is the winemaker at DRC right now? I have no idea, but uh, you know it, it's a fantastic wine. It has been, and you got to assume it always will be. Uh, 
And, you know, what I think has happened in the States, you know, along with the, the rest of the trend in the culinary world, has been to try to, you know, make the cheesemaker the, the star. They do it with chefs, and, uh, and, and that is uh, intoxicating probably for some cheesemakers, and it may work as a marketing tool, but it really causes problems then when you need to, uh, you know, when that person has to step away. And um, I, I, again, was lucky here in that, that, you know, that was, I think, never the case with, with Mike. And I try to make it the same way, that uh, the, the, the cheese should be the focus, uh, not the person making it. And um, But uh, obviously that's not always the case. And I wonder how much that's just a cultural, you know, and a, a way of, that Americans approach food these days. They want to know all about the person who makes it. Um, instead of just concentrating on the product itself. Lainey, what do you think about that? I can barely hear what he was saying. In your question regarding, if I understand it correctly, the, the, the continuation of the cheese that is Absolutely. made on all these uh, uh, farmstead cheese operations. Yes. Is that the question? Yes. I guess my, my thought, I have pondered that thought, and um, I guess what I thought, I wouldn't want to kind of shackle them into, oh, these are the cheeses you're going to make, you know, my, my you know, because I make 15 or so, you know, but as a business one that they could just slide and, you know, not have difficulties in um, getting cheeses out there, you know, stay with the plan here, stay with these cheeses, these cheeses sell, and as they got, you know, the person got better and better, develop their own, but, you know, and so... Um, you know, stay with most of them. Then if they wanted to wean off uh, a few of them and develop their own, um, go that way. I don't have, um, you know, I, I'm attached to them, but... Uh, They're like an expression of your farm, their operation, too. If, you know, what did they change? You know, was this talk about the name change. What do they, they want to be called, you know, Lazy Lady Farm? That, that's another thing. You know, I have a name, and, and Andy, I, you know, kept the Upland name. So there's the name, and there's the cheese. There's two things. And you name the cheeses so well. I mean, who else could, could come up with some of these right, great names? But, I mean, come right, on. But, but would you want to shackle someone into all of that? That's my thought. Well, and it's an interesting question because I feel like, again, like if you're talking Europe versus America, I feel like in Europe it's the opposite. It's like you go to school. If you want to be a cheesemaker, I feel like you go to school, and, and oftentimes, especially with um, – AOC cheeses, you know, then you learn to make a cheese. And it's not yeah. about you, it's about the cheese. Um, right. But so it's very interesting, I feel like, kind of free-spirited, like, you know, and super American dialogue right. that we're having about, like, oh, well, does someone want to continue to make my cheese? Or, um, yep. like like Andy was saying, like, where where does it stop with, like, the personality of the cheesemaker? And, and, the, kind, and the cheese that's well-known at this point, um, like Lazy Lady Farm, is a name, you know, if someone yep. changed the name, it would be like, like the Beatles changing their name, you know, it'd be like, right. everyone would be like, who's right. that, you know? Right. So it seems like it would behoove somebody who, who wanted to get into this, you know, succession of, of a cheese business to kind of keep, keep a lot of things the same, keep it true. I, I would like that, but that, I don't know, you know, would, would I find that person, um, you know, committed Yeah. to doing that and realizing well, you know, I'm stepping into something that can just easily slide, <laughs> slide into the stores, you know? Yeah. 
and not have a, not have a struggle. You just pick up a phone, and you call Ann, and you call Provisions, and you know, and and off it goes. You know, because it's it. The other thing is, like you're saying, there are a lot of cheeses out there. There are a lot of cheese makers. So to not to be the new kid on the block, you know, my advice would be to stay the course. But I don't know what you know personalities anybody's going to have. But see that. I'd like to speak to to what Andy said, and that that's the that's the the point and the and the issue is is are we about us or are we about the stuff that we make? You know, right. um, because I agree, uh, our food culture in general in this country has definitely shifted to who you know who's who's in the vat or who's behind the the yep. line, you know, and yep. and people pay a lot of attention to that. I think yes. that they do that in, in cheese a lot. I think that we do that uh, with, che- uh, with cheese mongers and, uh, and cheese mongery uh, as well. Well, you know? and just small, yep. small business in general, you know, it's like I can speak to that as a small business owner, like my name's on the business, you know, and yes. if, if I'm not at the store behind the counter, some people, you know, some people are fine with whoever's else, whoever else is behind the counter and some people are not and it's a difficult thing yeah in in whatever kind of business you're running for sure right but, so then and i would turn the tables on you so what what about uh, your business i mean what do you say. what are you gonna do what sax will be cheesemonger is gonna be is it always gonna be like that yeah no what's what's gonna go on there well so i guess so right now my two kids have patrick's last name they're both martins is well they'll so. be called like smart smartlebees smaxlebills <laughs> 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 so first, y'all yeah, we'll have to change one of their last names to Saxelby. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how Patrick will feel about that. Um, no, but I mean, I think it would be, I think it would be awesome if if one of my kids decides to be interested in cheese and and wanted to continue the business. It seems like for the majority of of other you know people that I've spoken to that that. Um, have a small business or have a cheese making operation that's usually not how it goes <laughs> usually the kids are interested in their own thing yeah which uh which i totally respect but um i mean yes i i would like saxelby cheesemongers to endure and to keep supporting american artisan cheese after i you know bite the dust and that would be great so yeah, i haven't i haven't i haven't started on it yet but uh but you know, get thinking. I know. You better know. start thinking. About and, it. And, and, and while you're answering questions, can I ask another question? Of course. This, this is for you too, Greg. I mean, how, how does it look uh, as cheesemongers? I mean, you are you, yeah. you guys worry that you're addicted to things that are new? You, you know, there's so many new cheeses. There's a lot. American cheeses coming out. What What is the value on a cheese counter of, of keeping um, these 15, 20, 30-year-old cheeses around? Yeah. Well, Assuming they're getting, they're going to be replaced by equally good or better cheeses. You know, is there some cultural value in having the multi generational production of the same product, or as Americans, should we just be celebrating the fact that we're going to like constant, you know, creative destruction and turn turn over the whole cheese industry every uh, generation? No, well, I think it's interesting to me. I feel like there's definitely value in innovation. Like Lainey was saying, would someone want to be shackled to her cheese or or invent some new stuff? And I feel like um, that has been a real strength of American artisan cheese making that there is no, there's not even a mold to break. You know, it's just like everyone's. Every, I mean, there are certainly established precedents, but I think that people are really creative, um, and they're coming up with like beautiful new cheeses all the time. Um, that said, for me, the bottom line is quality, you know, and it's like yep. if, if a cheese is delicious and if a cheese 
um, you know, when you line it up with five other, 10 other cheeses on a counter, however many, you know, and you're tasting it and it's, and it's great, like yep. Laney's cheeses or like, or like Andy, the Pleasant Ridge or Rush Creek, then for me, that's what endures. And I think that it would be, um, a shame to, to, to keep reinventing and lose those that are, that are so special. Um, sure. I think as, as it will go, I'm sure some cheeses will fall by the wayside. Unfortunately, like, you know, Greg and I both used to sell Sally Jackson cheeses back in the day. Those were amazing. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, and those aren't made anymore. And I feel like that's, you know, that's a disservice to the American artisan cheese industry. But you look at the the reasons why things like that happen. And I think that it's be, like why why did that why did that cheese go away? What yep. what did what did we not do um, as an industry to support that operation to make sure she had a bad incident? Up? Yeah, but she had a bad incident, and she was kind of a one woman operation. And yes, and you know, I feel like when you couple those two things, it's very difficult. Yes, and so I, she threw up her hands. I know for I know for a fact I bought that cheese for a long time, and um, and and I bought it when it was amazing, and I bought it was when it was not not so amazing. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I wonder a lot if I contributed to things like that because I was not prepared to offer feedback. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. I think that uh, that what you your question originally to Ann and I, Andy, is like for, is and the answer is quality. Quality determines what sticks around yeah. and what does not. I mean, yeah. I have three hundred cheeses up on, on the counter sometimes at once. Um, mm. I don't care so much what is new. Um, I mm. can't just keep adding things and adding things and adding things. Mm. But what sticks around and how my job as a cheesemonger is to give the feedback to make sure that those things stick around by giving honest feedback about the quality of them. Um, or I guess that's that's my answer. I also don't believe in innovation for innovation's sake. I like mm-hmm. things that be are classical and endure uh, because I think that's what cheese is all about. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so here comes a new cheese maker, and here comes a cheese. So you know you got your pile of cheese. You got your three hundred cheeses. Here comes somebody new, really delicious. Then then you got a lot of work to do to introduce it to your customers. A lot, yeah. A lot. Well, there's a lot of work to do, and to in order to to, I've worked through the transition. I've worked through the secession as a cheesemonger. Um, like I say, with with, those, with a place like Uplands, it was it was uh, it was seamless. I never felt like I was eating a different cheese, which is great. Yeah. Um, for new cheesemakers, um, there's a lot. I mean, so I'm at the end of the line. I work with Anne. Anne will bring me some cheese and say, "Try mm. this out." We put it up on mm. the counter. We pay, we we taste. We when we send the feedback up and up the chain, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but it does. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And it's funny for me as like a cheese, you know, um, having a a small um, shop and a small distribution business, like, you know, and it's just we're a five person team, you know, Um, it's and it is so much work um, introducing a new cheese. So now we really think about it. I feel like, you know, maybe back in the day, maybe, you know, five, six years ago, we were just kind of like, oh, yeah, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. But now yeah. it's like it's a big commitment. If we bring in a yep. new cheese, you know, it's really yeah. got to it's. And, and the other thing that we didn't really touch on before is that, yes, quality is uh, is is paramount. Um, but also, you know, if it's if it's a new cheese, is it different? I feel like yep. um, we also see. 
you know, a lot of people making very similar cheeses. And I see cheesemakers making more varieties of cheese. And Lainey, you've always done that. So (laughs) that's, I feel like that's been your calling card since the beginning. But, um, you know, for example, I feel like some cheesemakers want to diversify, whether it's because they sell at farmer's markets um, or just because they feel like they want to sell more cheese. And so they make more kinds. Mm -hmm. But I feel Uh like that's not always the best way. Mm -hmm. I feel like, Lainey, for your business, it works particularly well because they're all small format, they all right. are, are related in some way. Um, yep. But yeah, it's funny, Andy's at the opposite end of the spectrum, only making one. And yep. I feel like people should err on the side more of just like making one, two, three, yep. maybe max that hey. are great yep. and not making six or I mean, 10. For the nature of our of our discussion, it's it seems to me that it would be a lot easier and maybe I'm to well. I guess both would have their own set of, of quandaries, but it'd be it'd be easier to turn over in an operation to someone new that only had to make two cheeses Correct as opposed to someone that had to make fifteen kinds of yes. cheese. You know? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah, so you have to have ADHD and be, be into it. <laughs> nice. So there you go. We just wrote the job description. <laughs> you must have ADHD and love working 98 hours a week. I'm sure. Awesome. You know, I have, I have one more point to make. It, it, it popped into my head when we, you're talking about, uh, and you know, the difficulty of introducing a new cheese. And, and to me, the other side of that coin is what's the value of an existing cheese? And so if people listen to this program who are interested in selling or in buying an existing operation, that question has got to get answered at some point. What is the value of the label or, you know, of the ongoing operation? Yeah. And having gone through yeah. it myself, I just want to you know, say to everybody, I don't know. And <laughs> yes. I talked to everybody I could talk to. There is not really an industry standard that I'm aware of for valuing these small cheesemaking operations. Well, you're so, setting. You know, like in the restaurant industry, you go to some midtown Manhattan restaurant, 200-seater, anybody in the industry could tell you it's worth, yeah. you know, five times its revenue or, you know, whatever. There's, a, there's sort of a, a multiplier. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's a very difficult thing to pin down with these small, idiosyncratic, niche uh, cheesemaking businesses. Yeah, it's got a ton of variables. And then you have... Like you have like legislation like slowly marching toward you, you know. I mean, you're gonna. You're How gonna, do you quantify that mm. risk? You, yeah. yeah, you're gonna buy something. Your whole mm. operation's based on making raw milk cheese, and then mm. all of a sudden, you know, mm. the goalposts get moved, and mm-hmm. you can't make what your whole operation's set up to make anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, who would, what kind of fool would do something like that? Not you. <laughs> 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 Amazing. <laughs> Walk right into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a crazy man. <laughs> That's great. Well, I wanted to say uh, just thanks so much to Lainey and Andy for coming yep, on the show. That was fun. Yep. And, food um, for thought. And, um, and thanks always for, for coming in. And, oh, and, uh, thank you for being the steward of cutting the curd. You're the best. <laughs> so um, tune in next week for another great episode with Diane Stemple featuring some of our favorite cheese artists. Thanks for listening. Stay cheesy.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.